Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27. begin reading from verse uh, 17 of verse of chapter chapter 4 so Ephesians 4 we'll begin reading from 17 <clears throat> now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds they are darkened in their understanding <clears throat> alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality greedy to practice every kind of impurity but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption <clears throat> let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice be kind to one another tender-hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you may we go to our God and ask for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word <clears throat> Our loving God, we thank you, Father, for you have given us the warnings from your word. Father, we pray that we would not think that these warnings skip us. Father, we pray that we would receive it with sober judgment about ourselves. Father, we pray that we would not become defensive, but instead that we would be willing to let the Holy Spirit examine our lives. Father, we pray in thanks that you have offered to us in the Lord Jesus a perfect Savior in Jesus Christ. Father, that these sins that we confess, that we repent of, we acknowledge that they are and have been forgiven by Jesus Christ, covered by his blood. Father, we pray that you would help us to be those who are not sinfully angry but instead that we would be those who manifest the wisdom, the kindness, the love, the compassion, the gentleness, the patience of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that we might be a faithful witness to him of his glory. Father, we pray uh, that if any are here who do not know you, we pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would do this mighty work of conversion. Father, we thank you, for you are the one who exalts your Son. We pray that you would humble your servant also. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> how, how would you respond if I visited your home and uh, I came into your home and I, I left your front door wide open? Let's say, let's say you asked me to watch your home for, for a vacation 
And I, I came over, not only did I forget to lock your front door, I just left the front door just wide open. Wouldn't you be, hey, didn't I ask you to watch over my house? I mean, you leave the front door wide open, there could be a, uh, a person, a two-legged uh, threat, a, a stranger, a thief, wander in, or there could be a, a raccoon or an opossum and wander in and uh, start a family there, right? And you come back and you end up seeing, hey, I'm no longer the, the occupant of our home, right? We have a whole family of raccoons living here, and they don't take so kindly to us. Well, here, I think, I think you can understand leaving your, the front door of your home wide open would be unwise. But you realize that if you and I are involved in any kind of sinful anger, it also leaves the spiritual defenses in our life wide open to the devil. Here, this is what we need to watch out for, because the warning is here. Give no opportunity, give no foothold to the devil. That with, with anger, sinful anger, there will be opportunities for Satan to, to do further harm. So my desire, my prayer, is that you would be listening to the word of God and these warnings. Because it's very easy to say, I don't have an anger problem. Other people do. It's other people around me that make me angry. And all those other excuses. Here we see in the book of Ephesians that the apostle Paul has transitioned in his letter uh, from all the indicatives all the good things, the truths that God has given us in Jesus Christ, in the Holy Spirit. And here he's transitioned. Instead of telling us what God has done, the Holy Trinity has done on your behalf, uh, he's transitioned to the point where he's saying, now, then, this is how you ought to live. This is what you ought to think. This is how you ought to be. And I hope you can see that the two must go together. We can believe all the truths that God has told us about himself, what he has done on behalf, behalf of us, but we also have to submit to him when he says, you belong to me. You've been purchased by the blood of my son. Now, listen carefully and obey when I command you. And that we, have, we ought to have the heart to say, yes, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So the truth that we see in this passage, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, be cautious in your anger, for it does not produce the righteousness of God, but instead welcomes the devil. Be cautious in your anger, for it does not produce the righteousness of God, but instead welcomes the devil. <clears throat> we'll look at this in three points. The first, the danger of your anger. Second, the duration of your anger. And third, the devil in your anger. So the first point, <clears throat> the danger of your anger <clears throat> in the first part of verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Here, we think about what the apostle Paul has been writing in this chapter 4. Verse 17, he says, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And we ask the question, well, how do the Gentiles walk? Well, they walk in the futility of their minds according to a darkened understanding. Uh, there is willful ignorance that results in alienation from God. There's a hardened heart and a callousness of conscience. There's a giving over to and a guiding by the sensuality that leads to greater impurity. And we ought to understand that living according to these ways, being hardened in heart, living by sensuality, that one of those ways would be outbursts of anger. 
that we would attempt to use whatever means we can to achieve our goals. And that means intimidating people by our anger, uh, that this is exactly how the Gentiles would walk. And perhaps you and I can admit that's how we acted. That's how we once acted. And new life in Christ means that the falsehood in your life must come to an end. That we must speak the truth in love to one another. New life in Christ means that your anger and the sinful pride that fuels that anger must also die. There must be a, a relentlessness to kill that pride within you. So perhaps someone is asking the question, wait a minute, you mean now that I'm in Christ, I have to stop stealing? I have to stop being a master at feeding off of the system? Yes, we're told that your new life in Christ means you must work. And then you must be willing to share with those who have genuine need. That these things, this new life, means significant things for your life. And that you and I must realize your life is not your own. Neither is mine. We've been bought at a price. There must be a new love. There must be new desires, new hopes. Now, as we begin this the treatise, this treatise on anger, perhaps some of you are wondering, well, how do you, how do you even define anger? I have two definitions. Uh, one is that anger is an intense hastiness to do evil to one's neighbor. An intense hastiness to do evil to one's neighbor. <clears throat> Second, anger is an emotional response to a perceived injustice or offense. It's no need. There's no need for it to be real. It's a perceived injustice or offense. <clears throat> Here, we have the diagnosis for anger. <clears throat> I hope you can realize it is often the case that angry people are actually oblivious to their sinful anger. Those who are most guilty are going to be least likely to admit it. That's the sad truth. The po people in life who need the most help are, are the least likely to receive it. That rule applies even here regarding anger. But let's see what the Lord of, Word of God says regarding the diagnosis. In James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. <clears throat> know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So I ask you these questions. Are you quick to hear other people? Do others describe you as a good listener? Are you slow to speak? Or rather, do you interrupt and talk over other people in your conversations? According to scripture here, James 1, 19 and 20, if uh, you're quick listening and your slow speaking are lacking, it seems like your slow anger is also lacking. Do other people need to walk on eggshells around you? Do you use your anger? Do you use your emotions to try to control others? Do they, do they form a barrier from others being able to approach you? These, these are all typical things that happen with angry people. Do those in your inner circle, your spouse, your children, your parents, your neighbors, your coworkers, uh, your fellow church members, do they 
think of you as an angry person? Are you concerned about your life, your rights, your name, your advantage, your profit, your advancement? Or are you concerned about God's name and his glory? You realize that a heart, the heart, the sinful human heart is deceptive above all things. And that your deceptive and my deceptive heart will conflate the two. Oh no, I, I am entirely concerned about God's glory and God's name. When it becomes clear to everybody else but you, but me, that when we're angry about something, it's all the things that have to deal with us rather than with God. Perhaps you're thinking to yourself, you know what, you're wrong. My temper never flares. But do you harbor resentment, bitterness, a grudge against others? You realize that though you never once raise your voice, these resentment, bitterness, grudge, hatred, those are the, let's just call them nicely, the illegitimate children of sinful anger. Perhaps you're wondering, why is it that you get so angry? Why is it that I get so angry? Well, the first root, we look at these roots, the first root is pride. The insistence of, I deserve better. I deserve more. The entitlement mentality of today and the outrage culture of our times, entirely fueled by pride. Is it the case that everyone knows your opinion on most topics, meaning that you have an opinion, but most people know your opinion about just about everything. Are you, are you quite generous? You're rather free in giving a piece of your mind to people. Maybe there might be some pride there. Here, we think about what we deserve. I deserve better. I deserve more. Here, let's think about what you and I really deserve in life. The only thing we really deserve in life is a fair and just trial upon your death. And I assure you, according to God's word, you will receive that, a fair and just trial. And the outcome, I can tell you what the outcome will be. Condemnation, a just condemnation, a fair trial, you will get it. Outside of that, what else do you think we really deserve? What do we have that we did not receive from our God? And why is it that we boast? If, if you and I can kill this pride, we can use that to control the anger. If, if pride is killed, sinful anger will be gutted. Think also about the root of anger found in unbelief. The non-Christian has no defender and advocate. They feel the need to punish their own enemies. But you who are trusting in Jesus Christ, you don't have such a need. There is no such need. The first reason is because our God commands you to love and to show kindness to your enemies. The second reason is that our God is in the revenge business. He has a monopoly. Perhaps we can say he has a sole proprietorship in revenge. And he eliminates every one of his competitors. If you attempt to enter the revenge business, he will cut you out. He is very cutthroat. 
Do not do it. Do not attempt to compete with him. Do not attempt to, to usurp his market. Trust the Lord to do his business. Here we think about the psalm that we read. Psalm 37, verses 7 and 9. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Here, this word, this word of God, is a comfort to you and to me. We don't need to be the punishers of those who harm us. I'm not saying that you can't testify in a trial where there was, there was a criminal act against you. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm talking about personal vengeance here. I'm talking about people who seem to get ahead because they lie and cheat. And this word is a reminder that we trust in God. That though they may get ahead even in this life, though they may die with a much greater net worth, with a, a whole lot of people that, that praise them, you realize, what about eternity? You and I have to see the big picture. You need to think about what the, what the word of God, what our God has promised us in his word, and that you and I need not fear. We need not fret when the wicked get ahead. Here also, another root of pride, or another root of anger, is foolishness. Proverbs twelve sixteen: a fool's wrath is known at once, but a prudent man covers shame. Is it also the case? It's our own selfishness that roots, that, that is a root of our anger. Do you ex expect that others would make exceptions for you, or give preferential treatment to you? Meaning that, you expect all the other people to follow the rules, but that you don't need to, and that you need others to acknowledge that. Hey, the rules don't apply to me. There's a certain selfishness. There's a certain pride there. Here, we come down to the last one, at least the last one I could think of, arbitrariness. It's a whim. Is it the case that oftentimes you can't even explain why you're angry? that somehow someone close to you, hey, suddenly you're, you're shouting at me. Or, hey, you're not returning my calls. Oh, what, what, what's the matter? And you can't, put, you can't put down on paper, you can't put in words why you're upset at someone else. Or maybe it's just a shame of putting down on words why you're upset with them. And we think about some of the common defenses or the excuses for anger. Perhaps you've heard some of them. I hope you haven't made them. Someone might say, hey, I'm just an extrovert. Or I, I, wear, I wear my heart on my sleeve. Or I'm just a passionate person. Maybe it's the environment you're, you're saying, this is just how I was raised. This is a family trait. This is a family tradition. I've often heard these. And I, these individual groups, someone says, hey, I'm Irish. My blood is always up. Or I'm Italian. I'm Korean. I'm Latino. And, and don't let me, don't, let, don't think that I'm singling out those groups. These are actually people that I know who, who've made this excuse about their own groups. And the bottom line is the list can go on to the nth degree of all the different categorizations. 
But the question is, you are a descendant of Adam. We don't make excuses. Well, Adam sinned, so can I. What about turning the tables on the other person? He deserved it. He provoked me. He provoked me to anger. My emotions got the best of me. Here, these are all excuses for anger. Let's stop to look at some of the, the opposites. What are some of the opposites of anger? Think about this love passage, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7. How many of, this, of these descriptions about love are the opposite of anger? Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Notice that list. How many of those traits of love are entirely opposite of anger? And how if, if we were active in, in developing those traits, how anger would not, be, would not be so common in us? Even that simple one, love is not easily provoked. What about wisdom? Wisdom is another, is another opposite of anger. Wisdom is demonstrated by keeping one's emotions and especially one's anger in check. Here at times, you think about warfare, physical warfare. Do you think fleeing in battle is in each and every instance uh, an act of cowardice? No. There is such a thing called a tactical retreat. Now, we only understand, oftentimes, fleeing the scene of battle is cowardice, but it's not always cowardice, depending what you have. Here, we think about how uh, in our spiritual lives, is it the case, if you see temptation, is it cowardice to flee? My answer would be no. You and I need to know our own weaknesses. You and I need to realize that wisdom is not standing in the midst of temptation and not succumbing. But wisdom is often seeing temptation and fleeing, running the other way. At times it may even be, right, that with wisdom, we might flee the temptation to anger. Another opposite of anger is gentleness. While anger is harsh and cruel, God promises that the gentle will inherit the earth. The gentle are those who are not angry. And then there's patience. Patience and long-suffering, bearing with others. And then there's kindness. Kindness, God's kindness is that which leads you to repentance. Here we think about the effect of anger. Sometimes uh, it's helpful to, to think through uh, the practical ramifications of anger. I ask you, has your anger ever improved the situation even in the slightest? 
perhaps you might say, well, there was immediate compliance upon others when I stomped my foot and yelled at them. But you realize that's only, that's only in outward conformity. It's going to produce resentment. And in that situation, there is no heart change. It's no long-term gain. And I ask you regarding anger, what example are you setting for those in your life? Are you going to... Are you going to advance the generational sins? Is this what would please the Lord? So that's the first point, the danger of your anger. The second is the duration of your anger. Second half of verse 26. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Here what we have is a marker, an indicator of what sinful anger is. We'll return to that in a moment because it seems like perhaps some people right now might be asking the question, is all anger sinful? And the simple answer is no, it's not. And we prove that with the example of God himself. Psalm 7, 11, God is a just judge. God is angry with the wicked every day. But yet God never sins. Not once, not ever. We see also the example of Jesus. Most often it was with in, in his dialogues with the Pharisees, with the Jewish leaders. There is this one scene which probably is referred to a little too much in the Christian church. It's in John chapter 2 where Jesus shows up. There's money changers and there's vendors. Uh, they're, they're selling the, the animals, the doves and the, the sheep and whatnot. Uh, for sacrifices. So there, there was a reason what, what they were doing, and they had money changers, because you have to use the, the, the money of the temple, and apparently they were making some kind of a killing off, off, uh, off their sales and their money and their exchange rate, uh, no pun intended. And Jesus, he, he weaves or he wraps this leather whip, and he drives all those people out. I'm told he did it in his anger. And... Uh, Many people would like to use that story to say, hey, they, they can do the same thing. But here we ask, well, is it the case then that you're saying that your anger is generally good, generally righteous? Well, I refer you back to James chapter 1, verse 20. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. May you and I not deceive ourselves. Justify our own anger. We should consider why it is. Is it because you and I have been offended? Or is it because God has been offended? Here, we, we look at some of these indicators then of sinful anger. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Sinful anger is often because it is too long. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Here, God in his wisdom, he, is, he can give any various number of timestamps. Right? Do not let the Sabbath come on your anger. Do not let the year pass. No, do not let the day pass. And here, the theory is 24 hours, but in fact, often is shorter time than 24 hours. And here, I, I know certain people who talk about how they can't eat certain foods for dinner because uh, it flares them up. It makes them hot. They don't sleep well, whether it be uh, raw garlic or raw ginger, raw onions, whatever's the case. Some people say they can't eat that because they don't sleep well. And here, you realize that uh, certain things within your heart, within your soul, like anger. It also would be unwise to take that with you to bed. 
because you won't sleep well. In other words, uh, spiritual problems can negatively affect your health. It would be wise then, before we go to bed, that we would have some type of a spiritual inventory. That we, before bed, we would go through the day, do a disc defragment, we review the day. What were some of the things that you did? What were the things that you said? What were the thoughts that you had? And if there was sinful anger in those things, that you and I would repent before the Lord privately, and if need be, uh, to those in our home. Uh, But the bottom line is, it ought to be dealt with with the Lord before we go to bed. And the next day, if needed, we can go to those people. Here, there's also, besides being too long, there's also too intense. The anger that results in an explosion. Throwing or breaking objects. And worse, the saying of hurtful words. This intensity described in Proverbs 29.11. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. You realize... You break grandma's china, hey, that's, that's not a big deal. I hear that grandma's china, no one really cares for it. You could pick it up at a secondhand sale anyway, right? But you think about the hurtful words. We're told that they're like sword thrusts. Here, oftentimes, I'm caught in this situation where I often tell myself there was so much more I could have said or should have said. And there's regret. But as I look back, I realize, no. That's the right thing to, that's the right place to be. Because once those words come out, especially angry, hurtful words, you can't take them back. And you think about how painful some of those words are. Perhaps they can hurt for years, for decades. The intensity of anger. Perhaps anger is sinful when it's too often, several times a week, once a day, or maybe an overall grumpy mood. There's an overall grumpy mood. Not good. Too fast. When anger's too fast, just a little thing set him off. Or it's too wide. It's not merely against one person anymore. It's against several people. It's against that person and their family and, and their close acquaintances and that person's barber. <laughs> or even the entire church. That, that entire church don't want anything to do with them anymore. You know, we think about anger and the warnings that God gives. We're told not to befriend the quick-tempered person. Steer clear of angry people, the Bible warns. I warn you, do not marry them. Do not marry an angry person. Do not become friends with them. Do not let them into your inner circle. Do not let your children become close friends with angry children. The reason why is because anger is highly contagious. Since pride is at the core of anger, by you killing arrogance, you eviscerate the strength and the fire of anger. Are you able to admit that you have an issue with anger? Then bring yourself low often. Remind yourself, God, What is really due to me other than 
a fair and a just trial. The things that you give me, you give to me in your mercy and your grace. I should reflect on those matters and give thanks to you. We ought to bring ourselves low often because that is exactly what we belong. Trust that the Lord will deal with the wicked. Trust him to be your avenger, your defender, your advocate, and your friend. Leave him to excel in his business of revenge and do not attempt to do it. So that's the second point, the duration of your anger. The third point, the devil in your anger, in verse 27. And give no opportunity to the devil. Here, the warning is that your sinful anger opens wide the door for the devil's opportunity. It gives the devil a place. Uh, So to say, it gives them a foothold. It gives them a beachhead. So you think about what is, what is this beachhead? Well, think back to World War II when the Axis powers, Japan, imperialist Japan, they took over all these islands in the South Pacific. And the latter half of the war was the United States coming back and trying to claim the islands that were taken. And typically what happened was that you would have your naval battleships, they would hammer their bases, their fortifications, Uh, with all kinds of explosives. And then they would bring their amphibious ships to to the beach and then dump off their marines and soldiers and fortifications. And once they establish that beachhead, which is that place where then they can land, their fortifications come on, then taking over that island will be much easier. If, If you can't get a foothold on that island, very difficult to overcome it. And here, this is exactly what Satan does. If you and I express sinful anger, we basically say the beach is yours to take. The beach is yours to establish your fortifications and bring your weapons on, all that you need. It's like, letting, it's like letting that salesman get their foot in the door. This is what happens with Satan and our anger. You ask, what are some of the opportunities that the devil has when you and I have sinful anger? The first would be this shame or reproach. We see that in Nehemiah chapter 6. That was our passage, the Old Testament passage. Here, Nehemiah says, Then I perceived that surely God had not sent him, that false prophet, but he uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He was hired for this reason, that I might become frightened and act accordingly and sin, so that they might have an evil report in order that they could reproach me. Isn't this often the case that in your job, in your family, in your neighborhood, the other people know that you're a Christian and they try to say things publicly and get you to respond in in some way that you you incriminate yourself. And and here, one of the things that Tobiah and Sambalot would have wanted is if Nehemiah responded with some type of a sinful, angry outburst. Then they would say, you see, look at this, he's an angry man, he's a proud man, he wants to make himself king. And the example of Sanballat and Tobiah, who do you think they learned their ways from? They learned it from Satan. That's exactly what Satan does. He wants wants some fodder to accuse you. Do not give in to fear. Do not give in to your sinful anger. 
here. He wants to use that to shame you. It will also damage your witness before a watching world. Consider, consider angry words shared on social media. Are you able to take those down? I, I don't think so. And here, we ought to think about how the context is. Is that the best way for us to be a light? Those words, they can't be taken down. Boy, maybe they shouldn't have been put up in the first place. Anger opens the door to resentment and then to bitterness. If there's a friend, an acquaintance, and you see them calling, you're not rushed for time, you're not busy with something, and you just say, I'm not going to take it. You've got to ask yourself, is the motivation some type of resentment or bitterness that you have against that person? Anger opens the door for hatred and then to murder. Think through the advice, the counsel from the best counselor there is in history. In Genesis 4, verses 6 and 7, we have an account of God giving Cain counsel. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Hear God. It's, it's not as if there was anything wrong with God's counsel. His counsel was perfect, as everything about God is. It's, his counsel was rejected. But he's saying, anger, you must master it. He's telling Cain that. If you do right, will you not be commended? You will be. Sin is crouching at your door. Anger opens the door to hatred and to murder. So that's the devil and your anger. But then we think about God and your anger. First, I address those who are not only angry, but defiantly angry. I give you the warning. Your anger will consume you. And that is just the beginning of God's judgment upon you. If you're defiantly, if you're unrepentantly angry, if you're going to defend yourself in every instance of sinful anger, that is, that is the hope, that is, that is the hopelessness of your situation. Yet, to those of you who can come to terms, you know what? I am sinfully angry oftentimes. What hope is there? I offer you this great hope in the gospel. In Genesis chapter 6, you see the progression. God was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. Here, God saw that man's wickedness was great. He wiped out all the earth, but Noah and his family. Then in Genesis chapter 8, verse 21, the Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart was evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. Here, this is God. God never sins. He was entirely just in what he did in wiping out the world with a worldwide flood. 
There was nothing unjust about it. It was entirely, every single person that died deserved it. But here, this is God saying he's not going to do that again. The solution was in that soothing aroma. That God is the one who sent his only begotten son so that he would be the soothing aroma. He would die in the place of sinners. You realize there's only two options. That sinful anger will consume you unto judgment or you will resist it and that you will repent of it, that you will turn from it. You will acknowledge that Jesus Christ, he is the only hope that you have to save you from the sin of anger. That Jesus is your wisdom, your righteousness, your sanctification, and your redemption. 1 Corinthians 1.30 That our Lord Jesus did not only come to justify sinners, he came also to save sinners. He came also to sanctify sinners, that he would purify for himself a people of his very own, that he would cleanse us from our anger, that he would root out the pride within us. And so, people of God, I encourage you, trust in the goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he indeed died even for sinfully angry people, and that he is one who is working to rid us of the sin, that we would be those who learn to extend kindness to those who are undeserving, because Jesus, our Lord, extended kindness to us who are undeserving, and that you and I would repent of our sin of sinful anger, and instead that we would not harbor bitterness or resentment, but that we would learn to resolve these matters, that we would deal with them daily, that we would guard against the accumulation of resentment and bitterness, that we would be faithful to follow our Lord Jesus, and that you and I would be those who trust that Jesus is the one who cleanses us from all sin. May we go to our God together in prayer. Our Lord God, we thank you, Father, for you indeed are good, that you are faithful, that you are kind, 